0: Um, Tonight, with the start of Reckless, we're starting a brand new series called The Greatest of These is Love. Um, As a pastor, I get to do a lot of weddings, and one of the most common passages that that people who are getting married ask me to read during their wedding ceremony is 1 Corinthians 13. Right? It is like the all-famous passage about love. And uh, I want you guys to flip there before I read it, and before we read it together. I kind of want to tell you first about why Paul wrote this. Right, he didn't write it for a wedding. He didn't write it with a bride and a groom in mind. Um, he wrote it for a very different reason, and here's why: the people that he were he was writing to, they were a group of very messed up people, all right, they, they were people in a place called Corinth, they were a church, they met together regularly, but they had some messed up things going on inside the church and within the body of the church, here's some of the stuff that was going on, um, there were guys in the church sleeping with their dad's wives, okay, now that's weird, it's not their mom, if you like, dude, it's sleeping with their mom, that's gross, it was their stepmom, right, so you had dudes in the church, sleeping with their stepmothers, and instead of people in the church going, bro, that's crazy, cut it out, that's ridiculous, you actually have people in the church sitting back and going, you are the man, right? That is incredible. Um, You got any tips for me, right? Um... It's ridiculous. Not only that, this was a group of people, when they when they came together, they would take communion together regularly. You guys know when, when we break bread and when we drink juice and we remember that Jesus died for our sins, body was broken, blood was spilled. Well, they did this too. Um, the problem that they had is they had people showing up and instead of taking communion, to remember what I just mentioned, they would have people showing up really hungry so they would eat all the bread and nobody else could, could get any to, to do communion. And then they would drink the Wine And they would get totally plastered, right? So they're getting drunk at communion. That, that's not good. You guys know that, right? Like they showed up to church and they got drunk. Um, that's not a good thing. Um, there were a couple other crazy things going on inside the walls of the church. There were a lot of people because Jesus died on a cross. Um, There were people who would stand up in church services a lot like this, and instead of singing songs about Jesus, praising Jesus, they would actually stand up and they would say, Jesus is cursed. They would curse his name in church. Okay? absolutely crazy. Um, The last thing that was really weird, these people when they came together, they had all these gifts, they had these abilities that God had given them and instead of using those things like teaching or um, the gift of prophecy, maybe the gift of healing, stuff like that instead of using that stuff to help other people when these guys came together they just continually tried to one up each other. It was like they were competitive with the abilities that God had given them and they tried to act so super spiritual and religious just so they could look better than the people sitting to them uh, or, or sitting in the seats next to them. So here's what's going on with these people and in response to that happening, that's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is kind of the key passage to this entire book. Paul is looking at a group of crazy, arrogant, prideful, messed up people and here's what he's saying to them. You guys have an issue, and your issue is that you've forgotten, first and foremost, to love God and to love each other. That's your problem. I want us to read 1 Corinthians 13 together, and, and you'll see this. Let's read it. Starting in the very first verse, here's what it says. If you don't have a Bible, you can check out the screens. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing." If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver myself to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. And then here's the famous love passage: Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love love never ends. And then if you go down to verse 13, here's how he closes it out. He says, so now faith, hope and love remain or abide and the and the greatest of these and this is the title of our series, the greatest of these is love. Again, this was a group of people who came together and when they should have been defined by love, they were defined by arrogance. They were defined by pride. They were defined by being a bunch of people who would show up and go, man, we know a lot, right? We know a lot. We can pick this book up and man, we can do Bible drills and do, I don't know what, Bible trivia and and we'll have all the right answers. We have all this knowledge. These are people showing up going, man, we have faith. That's so great. It can move mountains. Um, These are people that are going, hey, if it came down to it, I would lay myself down to die for what I believe in. And you know what Paul's saying? He's going, it doesn't matter. Paul's looking at these people and going, you're annoying. He said, listen, you can know everything there is to know, but if you don't love each other, then you're just a clanging symbol. like you're, you're annoying. You can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't love each other, then it's meaningless. He goes, man, it doesn't matter how religious you try to be, how spiritual you try to be. If you don't love God, if you don't love other people, then really your life is meaningless and pointless and you're just annoying to be around, right? That's what Paul's saying. Now, I hate, I hate, and I I think it's really sad today when you ask people what they think about Christians, right? Um, Because most of the answers that come back sound a lot like that, right? You ask people, what do you think about people who claim the name of Jesus? And you'll get responses like this. Well, they're judgmental, right? They're, they're hypocrites. They think they're better than the other people around them. I don't like being around them. Um, it, it's sad that people say that. But what's even more sad is the fact that a lot of times, for a lot of people, um, it can be very true. A- anybody know any really annoying religious people that you just don't want to be around? Yeah, I, I know a lot of those same people. Here's the goal of this series, and look at me because I don't want you to miss this. The goal of this series is for you and I to understand how not to be those people, those annoying religious arrogant, prideful, think we're better than other people because we know it all. We think we have this great faith and, 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 you know, what we say we believe and we think it's right. The goal of this series is to teach us and to bring us to a place, hopefully, where we don't become those people, but we instead become people who truly love God, truly love the things of God, and truly love each other. Like, my heart for us as, as Reckless My heart for every single one of you sitting in this room is that you'd walk out of this place, walk into your schools, and people would look at you and say, man, even though I might not believe what they believe, they truly love their God. And they believe what they say they believe. And they don't just love their God, but they truly love other people in a way that I can't wrap my brain around. They're the most humble person that I know. And every time they want to share Jesus with me, they do it not because they want to be right or win an argument. They do it because they're really concerned about me. My goal for you is that you'd walk out of here and you'd be that student who day in, day out, moment by moment, is known and characterized and defined by being a kid who truly loves God, loves people, and loves the thing of God, or loves the things of God. That's the goal of this series. So I want you to flip over if you still have your Bibles open. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to get started with our topic for tonight. Mark chapter 12. Um, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus. He's teaching, and uh, he gets asked a, a question, and the question he gets asked is this, what is the most important commandment? And another way that maybe this guy could ask this question is this, he could have came up to Jesus and said, what is the one thing I need to do with my life? What is the one thing I need to hang my hat on? If there's something important enough that I need to devote my entire life to it, what is that? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 29, and here's what he says. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. Jesus looks this guy in his face and he says, the greatest thing that you can do with your entire life is to love God with everything that you are. Now, I really want us to get what Jesus meant when he gave this answer, gave this statement. So I want us to talk about tonight what it truly means and looks like to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this phrase down with all my heart. With all my heart. Write that down. When Jesus said you're supposed to love God with all your heart, here's what it means. If you read this verse in the original language, here's what it would have sounded like. Jesus would have looked at this guy and said, the first thing you need to do, love God with a perfect sincerity. I want you to love God with a perfect sincerity. Don't love Him in a hypocritical way. Don't love Him in a way where He just gets some of your attention, some of your affection. Don't love Him in crowds of certain people and then not in crowds of other people. Don't love Him inside the walls of one building and then don't walk into another building and not love Him. Like Jesus is saying, you need to love God with your whole heart, with a perfect sincerity. The best picture I can give you of this is a husband and wife. I've been married for a little over six years. And for me to love my wife with all my heart means that I look my wife, Amber, in the face and I say, Babe, I love you. And then every day I commit to live in a way that shows my wife that I mean what I say. Right? So if I was the husband that said, Amber, man, I just love you so much. You're awesome. You're smoking hot, which she is. um, And, uh, man, I, I just want you to know I love you with all my heart. And then I went out and cheated on my wife, right? You know what I am? I'm a liar, aren't I? I'm a hypocrite. I'm not loving God with all my heart. I'm not, or I'm not loving Amber with all my heart, with all of my sincerity. I'm actually saying one thing to her, and then I'm living in a way that says something completely different. And here's what Jesus says don't love God like that. He says, if you want to love God, you love Him with a perfect sincerity. You say you love Him, and you live in a way that says the same exact thing. This is what it means to love God with all your heart. The next thing he says is you love Him with all of your soul. Here's what this means. It means that you and I should love God with all of our emotions and our feelings. Listen, tonight in this place, I need you to know that if you love God, if you say you love God, it's an emotional relationship right? This is what Jesus is saying. Like, if you say you love God, if you are a lover of God, you can't say you just love him. You actually feel this affection for him. Like, okay, you guys are in high school. Anybody love anybody? You guys ever been in love before? Of course not. You're in high school, right? That's not even possible yet, is it? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Don't, don't like throw rocks at me. Look, look at me. You guys have, okay, let's do this. How many has like a dopey friend that's in love with somebody that you make fun of all the time? They, okay, we got hands raised now, don't we? Okay, this is, this is speaking. Now look, 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 look at me. Look at me. What happens, what happens to your friend when they're around that person they say they love? They turn into a complete idiot, don't they? Like, they talk different, they act different, they start wearing different clothes because the person that they love is like, I think you should wear button-ups more. Okay, I'll wear button-ups, right? And they, they, they turn in, they turn into this different person. And here's why, here's why, look at me. They turn into a different person because when they love somebody, they feel something that changes them, right? They love them with their emotions And their feelings. And Jesus is saying here in this passage, when we love God, it's the same thing. We don't love God with with an empty heart. When we love God, we love Him in a way that our emotions and our affections are stirred up for Him. But not only that, Jesus says this. He says, we love God also with all of our minds. And, and here's what this means. It means that you and I are supposed to love God with all of our intellect, with all of our thoughts, with all of our reasoning, and with all of our decision-making. And I'll make this really easy for you to understand. To be a lover of God and to be someone who truly is in love with God, it means that you're not gonna be able to do anything in life without thinking about Him. Let me take it back to my wife. When I say that I love my wife, It means I think about my wife a lot, right? Like, if I have a bad day, she's the girl I want to call first. If I have a big decision to make, I think about her. If something dumb happens, like one of you guys falls off the railing and breaks your head, I want to call. Like, you never believe what happened, right? Um, It's just this thing where decisions need to be made, funny things happen, bad things happen, life happens. My brain goes to her, and why? Because I love her. And, and part of loving someone means you think about them when life happens. It means you think about them when decisions need to be made. And Jesus is saying the same thing should be true about us when it comes to our love for God. He says, man, when you wake up in the morning, you think about Him. When decisions need to be made in life, you think about Him. When, when you make plans to go somewhere or not go somewhere, you take them into consideration, right? When temptation or sin is staring you in the face, God is a thought that crosses your mind if you love him. He's part of everything that you do. He's always something that you think about. This is what Jesus means when he says we love God with all of our mind. And the last thing he says is this, we should love God with all of our strength with all of our strength. Here's what this phrase means. It means that we're supposed to love God with an intensity and an energy. And, and I'll make it even more simple. When you love someone, it means that you do anything to prove to that person that you truly love them. And Jesus is saying, it's the same when it comes to your love for God. I'll give you another example. And some of you guys have heard this example before. Um, it's been a couple years, so I'm gonna share it anyway. My wife... Um, When I proposed to my wife... I, uh, I did it in a way that kind of stretched me a little bit personally, okay? Um, I took my wife to a drive-in movie. I uh, took her out to Cafe Intermezzo, and then after all this stuff, we went back to the church that I was working at, and I had the altar in the sanctuary of our church, like lit up, and I had a basin of water there, and I had a towel, and I took my wife, and I set her on the stage, and I pulled her socks and her shoes off, and I knelt down on the ground beside her, and I washed her feet, right? And so I proceeded to tell my wife, I want to spend the rest of my life, loving you, serving you, leading you through being a servant like Jesus, right? And I washed your feet. Now, here's the thing you got to know about me, and I've told plenty of you guys this before. I absolutely hate feet, right? Like, feet disgust me. I've said it plenty of times from the stage. I'll say it again. You touch me with your foot, I will break your leg, okay? That's how much I hate feet. It was so funny. I mean, even in that moment, my wife is pulling her feet away going, no, 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 you really don't have to do this. I know how much you hate them. I'm like, no, give me your foot, woman, right? I'm doing this. (laughs) And it was for one purpose. Here's the purpose. I wanted that girl to know how crazy in love with her I was. And in that moment, I was going to do anything that it took. Listen, I was going to do anything that it took to make sure she knew how much... I love her. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying that when it comes to your walk with the Lord, your love for him, that you should be that person that looks at God, wakes up every day and goes, listen, I love you so much. I will do anything. I'll do anything. Like, you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it because I love you. I will go anywhere. I'll love anybody. I will travel across the world and live in the bush in Africa and share Jesus with the poorest people on the face of the earth if that's what you want me to do, God, because I need you to know that I love you and I'm serious about our relationship. We love God when we truly love him with an intensity and with an energy that shows him how serious we are about our relationship with him. This is what Jesus is saying. We love God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Now, let's make it applicable. Let's make it real. Why should you love God like that? As a high school kid, I think this is the next question we've got to ask. If Jesus says the greatest thing you can do with your, with your life is to love God with a perfect sincerity, with your emotions, your feelings, with your thoughts, intellect, decision-making, intensity, energy, to love God like that, why in the world should you actually listen? Why? Have you ever thought about that question? Because here's the deal. As high schoolers, you've got a lot of things in the world right in front of your face telling you that you should love it instead of God, right? Like, man, you've got a lot of things around you that you can love pretty easily, that you can give your devotion to, your energy to, your thoughts to, that you can give your your passions to. Um, You've got a lot of things in the world that you can love. So why in the world should you love God more than any of those other things? I, I wanna give you the very simple answer and I just want you to listen. Don't, don't even turn here. Just listen. And it'll be on the screens. First John chapter 4. John makes it very simple and very clear. And here's the answer to that question. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, here's the key. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the the, uh, substitute for our sins. Here is the answer to the question. Why should you love God more than anything else the world puts in front of you and says that you should love? Here's why, because God has loved you first. That's the very simple answer. God has loved us. Listen to me, guys, if you don't get how huge this is, I'm gonna spell it out for you in just a minute, but I need you to know the simple answer to why you should love God is because God loves you. The the Bible, this book, is so clear that every single person sitting in this room tonight has done things to offend God right nobody's in here nobody in here is perfect, are we And if you come in here and you say you are perfect then you just lied and you're not perfect right um, That's kind of how it goes. Nobody's in, nobody in here is perfect. We've all done wrong things. We've all made mistakes. Again, the Bible says that we have done things that are wrong, offend God. And the Bible says so clearly time and time and time and time again, because of those things that we've done and because of who we are, that we actually don't deserve the love of God at all. What we deserve from God is to die hopeless people stuck in our sin on our way to a very real place called hell to spend eternity separated from him. And here's the worst part about this news. The worst part about this news is that nobody in this room can do a single thing to change that. Like none of us in here can be good enough. None of us in here can follow enough rules. None of us in here can spend enough time trying to devote ourselves to God to make God love us or accept us or to make up for all the wrong things that we've done. Here's where the amazing love of God comes in. In spite of all you've done wrong, in spite of all the mistakes you've made, in spite of all the bad things that you've done, the Bible still calls you enemies of God. Even in spite of that, God still loves you. He still loves you. And God didn't just sit up in heaven and look at you and go, "Ah, I know you've made some mistakes, you've done some bad things, don't worry, I still love you. No, no, God looked at you, and the Bible again, you're his enemy. God looked at you and goes, I love you anyway, and I'm going to show you how serious I am. I'm going to show you, I'm going to put on display how much I truly loved you. And he made his love for us very real, very tangible in sending his son Jesus into the world. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus was God, God wrapped in flesh. He came into this earth and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he went to a cross and he laid down his life, brutally murdered for your sins and mine. Jesus Christ loved you so much that instead of seeing you as enemies of God, He came to make us friends. And He went to the cross, and He died in our place for our sins so that you and I would never have to suffer the punishment of God, so that we would never have to experience what our sin deserves. You see, Jesus took our punishment for us so that we could be loved by God, accepted by God, and have an eternal relationship with God. By simply trusting in him This is what John means when he says Jesus was the propitiation for our sins It's a really weird, big, fancy word That simply means Jesus took our punishment So that we could be loved and accepted by God Look at me tonight I do not care what you've done I don't care what your past looks like I don't care about the mistakes you've made I don't care what you're already planning to do When you go and you leave this place And look at me God doesn't either. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you in spite of all the wrong that you've done. And again, he loved you so much that he let his own son be put to death in your place. He killed his son, Jesus, so that he wouldn't have to do that to you. He loves you. If you are here tonight and you go, man... I've never really felt like God's loved me. You don't know what's happened in my life. Again, I would say, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at what God has done for you to prove to you how much that he loves you. If you've never come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, he wants to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. Man, your eternity can change. Everything about you, your thoughts, your desires can change. If you wonder why you're supposed to love God, like Jesus says, it's because God loves you. He loved you first. He loved you when you were at your worst. I can't say it enough. Man, he loves you. He loves you. For those of us that are here tonight, and maybe we've been doing this church thing, this Jesus thing for a while now, and you're still kind of doing the religious stuff because you feel like you still have something to prove to God, Like, you hear me say that, like, God loves me, and you're still sitting in your seat going, I mean, I kind of believe that, but James, I I don't know if you know what I've done, but uh, I don't know. I haven't really given him a reason to love me. Look at me. You've got to quit. You've got to quit. If you know Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. I, I get that mindset because I grew up in a church that was legalistic. I grew up in a church that preached a lot of rules, right? Like, pray to accept Jesus as your Savior so you don't have to go to hell. Now, here are all the rules you need to keep so that God will really like you, right? Like, that's the church I grew up in. So I, I pray to accept Jesus as my Savior, and I walk out of the church like, oh, dang, I can't watch any rated R movies. I can't listen to that kind of music. I, uh, you know, I can't have long hair. I can't wear earrings, which all that stuff I still did. But, um, you know, it's like this whole list of things. And then every time you get one wrong, it's like, oh man, God is angry at me again. God's mad at me again. I don't know if he really loves me. Listen, if that's what you believe about God, you've bought into a lie and you can only live like that for so long before you give up on Christianity, give up on Jesus and you bail out because that's religion. Jesus is not Religion. Jesus saves from religion. Jesus came to do away with religion. You don't have to try and earn God's love. He's already given it to you in Jesus. This is good news. Listen, I, I a few weeks ago, um, got a picture, a real tangible picture of God's love for me. You know, you always hear people talk about like when you have kids, you, you experience the love of God in a whole new way. Well, my wife and I had a baby just a little over uh, four weeks ago. She'll actually be a month old tomorrow. Absolutely crazy. It's already been a month. But um, a couple of weeks ago, we're sitting on the couch with my little girl and my wife had just gotten done feeding her. And uh, she got up with her and she changed her diaper. And as soon as she was going to sit back down on the couch with her, my little girl just started puking everywhere, right? Like just... <laughs> I mean, throwing up everywhere. It looked like she had thrown up everything that she had eaten. And she threw up so much that it went all down her. It soaked through her diaper. My wife is covered, right? Um, I go over to the couch and I grab her and I pick her up and and hold her in real close. And so now I'm covered, right? So all three of us are covered in my little girl's puke. Now, here's the deal. This this two-week-old little girl is staring up at me just filthy, right? Like she's created a mess and she's looking up at me. And I realized in that moment, this little girl can do absolutely nothing for herself. Like she can't clean herself up. She can't walk over to the tub and hop in and just kind of rinse off. No, here's this little baby girl looking up at me, covered in her own filth. She can't tell me all the reasons I should love her. She can't give me all these things that she's done to to convince me to clean her up and to wash her off. No, no, I'm looking at this little girl going, I'm her dad and I love her and I love her in spite of the crap that she's created and covered in and I'm gonna take her to the tub and I'm gonna clean her up because I love this little girl. Listen to me, look at me. This is how God loves you. This is how God loves you. You have created a mess through your own sin. All of us have, me included. And there's nothing that we can do to convince God why he should love us, why he should clean us up. We can't say to God, look at all I've done. You should love me. But in spite of all that, the Bible says that God is a father who looks at us with love anyway. And in our greatest time of need, you know how God responded? He didn't say, you go clean yourself up. You try to be good enough. Here are all the rules. No, no, no. God looked at us and he said, I'm going to do something for you. Like, I love you enough to do something for you. I'll clean you up. I'll fix this. I'll make you acceptable again. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus did that for us. Guys, this is the great news about Christianity. This is the good news of the gospel. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. You already have it. All you've got to do is come and place your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who has come to fix this broken relationship. And the Bible says God loves you. He gives you his love. He gives you his grace. He gives you his compassion. So again, if I haven't said it enough times tonight, look at me. God loves you. He loves you. If you walked into this room tonight and you don't know Jesus, maybe it's your first time to church. I want to say, I am glad you're here. If there's one message I want you to hear tonight, it's this. God loves you. And I... Don't worry. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. No convincing. He loves you in spite of you. God does not love you because of what you've done. He loves you because of who you are. You're his creation. And he wants you to place your faith in Jesus tonight so that you can be his son and you can be his daughter. Tonight, if you're in this place and you know him already, then tonight, the rest of the night, you know what I want us to do? I just want us to sit and to bask, and to dwell on, and to think about, and to be overwhelmed by the amazing truth that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who's on our side. We have a God who is for us, even when we're not for him. God loves us, and that is why you and I should love God every moment of every day with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And if that reason that God loves you is not enough, um, I don't have another reason for you. That's got to be enough. Here's what I want us to do tonight. Um, Right in your seat, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to bring the guys back up. I just want you to listen to this passage of scripture as I read it over you. Listen to this. Just in the quietness of your chair, forget about the people around you. I just want you to listen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He's at the right hand of God and he's now interceding and praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels angels, nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Tonight, our God is for us. Tonight, you need to know God is on your side. Even in spite of all that you've done wrong, the mistakes that you've made, the things that you have failed in, God still loves you. Tonight, if you're here, And you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If tonight you're in this place and you go, man, I've never heard about this love before. Um, I'm kind of doing my own thing, living life for myself. If my life ended right now, I have no idea about what eternity would look like. Listen, I'm here to tell you tonight, again, God loves you. And He's figured all that stuff out for you already. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give your life meaning. He wants to wash away all the mistakes, all the failures. And He wants to bring you into His family, make you a son, make you a daughter, give you forgiveness, and give you hope that one day when this life is over, you can leave this life and spend eternity in His presence. Tonight, if you're in this place and you need that, if you need that relationship, the Bible says you come and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe that God has raised him from the dead, that he died on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says that God will save you. Tonight, I want to give you that opportunity right in your seat where you are. If you need to know Jesus... You can just say something like this. There's no magical prayer that saves anybody, but you can just declare to God that you need His love, that you want to know Him, that you want a relationship with Him, that you want to accept the love that He's given you in Jesus Christ. And you can say something like this. You can say, God, tonight, God, I thank you for your love for me. God, I want to come and I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. God, I want to ask you to give me a new heart. God, all the things I've done wrong, God, take them away. God, I believe that Jesus has died for those things. I believe, God, that he rose from the grave so that I could have eternal life. And God, tonight, I believe that I don't have to do anything to earn your love, but I believe that you already love me. And you showed me that in Jesus. And so tonight, God, I say I believe that you love me. God, save me. Change me. God, give me eternal life tonight. Listen, if you're in this place and you prayed that, I want to be able to pray for you. Can you do me a favor just with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you prayed that tonight, would you just lift your hand up? I just want to be able to pray for you. I see that hand. I see hands over here. Who else? You can just lift it up just for a minute and put it back down. God Father I just want to thank you for these students tonight God who have accepted the love that you've shown in Christ Jesus God my prayer over them God is that you change their hearts change their lives God draw near to them in this moment God I celebrate with them God that their eternities are different God their spiritual life is now different God we thank you so much for how you love us tonight for the others of us. I I don't know what's going on with you, man. I, I don't know if you're living for the Lord. I don't know if, you know, you say you love Him and then you don't live like it. I don't know if maybe you're out just killing it. But I don't think that any of us can ever be reminded of God's great love for us too much. My prayer for this year is that we would see a revival take place. My prayer is that God would use many of you sitting in the rooms to change your schools, to change your friends, to change your families, to do things for his kingdom that you can't do on your own power or your own strength, that you can only do when God is working in and through you in a mighty and powerful way. And that only happens when you're truly following him, truly loving him. Tonight in this place, I just want us again, we can sing, we can bow, we can come to this altar at the front of the room, and we can ask God to forgive us and to restore us, whatever it might be. I just want us tonight to let God's love for us motivate us to love Him in the same way He's loved us. Perfect sincerity, with emotion, with feeling, with thought, decision-making, with energy, and with an intensity. God proved his love for us by killing his own son so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Let's be people who commit to prove our love to God in recognition of his great love for us. Father God, would you move in this place? God, we thank you for who you are and for all you've done for us. God, remind us tonight of how much you truly love us as your kids. God, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.